This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for What in the World with Paul Seaburn. But before we get started, number one, you're going to notice we're missing somebody today. Uh, John Danalo is doing his public duty. He's at the voting polls, and he's uh, doing something at his precinct. So thank you, John, for your service. Um, but those of you who are out there listening, I know you give Paul some great feedback. So the feedback I would like for you to give us is, does anybody know how to fix Zoom? I mean, <laughs> we're not going live again today because there's a glitch in the software somewhere. So if somebody has an idea why we were able to record last week and do well, and when we went live, I think we went about 10 minutes in and then yeah, we reverb. Right. Um, we know it's not our equipment. So we believe that you guys will have the answer for us. And so with that, I'm going to turn this over to Paul Seaburn. And by the way, oh, I got to move this way. I'm not Barbie. <laughs> Oh, for those of you who aren't watching this on YouTube, you don't know what you're missing. Um, and I will explain in one second. But first, thank you, Karen Hale, for that great introduction. And by all means, we have the greatest listeners in the world and the smartest. If if our listeners can't figure out what's wrong with Zoom, Zoom is beyond repair. I, so so please, you know, to, to take we're, we're serious. Please, if you know something about Zoom and you can help Karen out, um, go to NewClevelandRadio.net and send her a message. Come to Facebook, send me a message, or come to Karen on Facebook. We're all over the place. We are. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you, Karen, for that great introduction. I am Paul Seaburn, host of What in the World everybody's favorite weird news show real news sometimes strange always funny that's our motto uh, Karen mentioned that John Danalo our, our sports guy and trivia guy and my old friend is not here today he is doing his civic duty and helping out at the polling place so thank you John we'll get an update from him next week that's all the politics we're going to talk about today absolutely uh, enough <laughs> Those of us in Ohio are so sick of hearing about this issue already. It was on the national news. If you haven't heard about it, you should feel lucky um, because we've just been bombarded by it. Karen is, um, uh, for those of you on, not on YouTube, Karen has a new background that is about as pink as I, my eyes can stand um, with a little note that says she's not Barbie. You would have made a great Barbie, Karen, by the way. So. Um, who knows? Hey. You know, you might. Uh, know. I could change my name. There you go. You don't even have to change just temporarily. You know, oh, okay. uh, booba, 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 booby. <laughs> you know, one of those. <laughs> All right. Oh, you know, I forgot to print off my list of what we're going to be talking about today. I know I posted it on Facebook. So uh, we are here every week at NewClevelandRadio.net. That's our platform. We're here on the. Uh, Normally, sometimes live, obviously, you you know why we're not live today uh, at 3.30 on Tuesdays. Uh, we're coming to you from Northeast Ohio, where it's a beautiful day today. Um, I, I, that, that's enough for our weather report. The um, We're not going to give you a sports report because the Guardians have just been doing too bad. So we're all waiting for football season to start. Uh, we do have some unusual sports that I'm going to be talking about today. We've got some unusual watermelons that I'm going to be talking about today. My favorite. No, pardon, what's that? Watermelon, favorite. Watermelon, yeah. Oh, yeah, it it's, it's, uh, goes with your pink background there, too. Yep. You know? So uh, uh, we've got some, uh, some great uh, um, world records um way do you hear about these it, you know you, you gotta wonder sometimes where people come up with these ideas to try these things for world records uh we are on youtube <clears throat> excuse me i do have some uh photos that go along with uh many of our stories so uh, by all means you know we'll we're an in your ear podcast we, we try to cater to 
the, the vast majority of you that listen to us rather than watch us. But it's worth it to take your time uh, when you have a chance. Visit us on YouTube. Take a look at some of the photos. You wouldn't believe some of the strange things that, that we'll be talking about. So it, it, it's always fun to do that. And on that note, I think let's get right to it. Let's check our time here. Let's get a drink of water. Karen, say something. Oh, something. I'm not Barbara. There you go. That's all I needed. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I needed. Okay, we're going to go right to Antarctica. Antarctica is where we're starting our story. Our first watermelon story. Of all places, who would have thought that we would have a, a watermelon story from Antarctica? But here it is. So these scientists, he's a Russian scientist at a Russian base the uh, Russian Antarctic Expedition. There's one in the Arctic, there's one in the Antarctic. We're going down to Antarctica. They are doing experiments on raising food for themselves, obviously, but also yeah. they're hoping to uh, uh, learn how to uh, help the astronauts that are going to the moon, help them uh, learn how to how to raise food in, in hostile environment. You can't be more hostile than uh, Antarctica, except for Washington, D.C. I know I said I wasn't going to say anything <laughs> political, <clears throat> but I'm sorry I had to slip that in. So anyway, so these scientists in Russia, Russian scientists in Antarctica, they have um, joined up with some farmers. Um, they're grow they grew eight watermelons, eight whole watermelons, using a technique called panoponics. Panoponics is, is it. It's a soilless, so it's kind of like hydroponics in water. But okay. you know, I don't know how to do it in the frigid environment of Antarctica if they're growing them in ice or what. But they managed to grow eight watermelons that, that apparently they ate because you know after they ate it, they said the best part was going outside and spinning the seeds and watching them <laughs> freeze in midair. Uh, that's how cold it is. It's so cold. No, we're not going to do any of those this week. Um, so, I, you know, I, it, I'm sure they loved eating fresh watermelon. Uh, bad news, the penguins found out, you know, that's, those are their neighbors down there, the penguins. And, uh, you know, they're beating on the door. They want to know, you know, we want some watermelons for our picnic, um, you know, they, which they hold every year for that hour that they have summer down in Antarctica. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Summer. Yep. Yeah, summer's over and they go back to waddle around. Um, is this the best thing to grow, Karen? And and, and everybody out there, you know, I, I I when I ask Karen, I ask all of you, is this the best thing to grow in Antarctica? Watermelon? They're short on space, and obviously watermelons are about the biggest fruit that I can think of. Right. Yeah. What? what why not try something a little smaller? You know, uh, they I, I I checked and they said they were going to grow zucchini, but who do they give all those baskets of zucchini to once that the, you know they finish growing all of them? Uh, the penguins, even penguins don't want zucchini. They'd rather have watermelon. Um, I'm surprised they didn't try potatoes. You know, Russians, you make potatoes. Not only are they good to eat, that's what you use to make vodka. So, um, <laughs> of course, maybe their bosses said, no, no, nine, nine, no, no vodka, no potatoes for you. Um, but uh, think about it, though. They could make vodka and and also maybe grow a couple of watermelons as well. Then they could have the perfect picnic uh, treat, which is drilling a hole in the watermelon, pouring the vodka in, shaking it up, and now you got the the world's everybody's favorite alcoholic fruit, uh, watermelon vodka, uh, and and then give it to the penguins because there's nothing funnier than watching penguins try to waddle around when they're oh, drunk, yeah. you know, falling over and. <laughs> So anyway, so there's our watermelon. Watermelon story number one. This is how unusual this week has been. We had two watermelon stories, not one but two. That's that's unprecedented in Absolutely. the annals of what in the world. <laughs> so second one comes from Maine. Uh, so uh, watermelon lovers in Maine are being warned by grocery stores to be on the lookout for a certain kind of watermelon. And I've got a photo of one that if, if we've got any um, any any of our uh, uh, friends in ooh. Maine, anybody listening to the podcast. So Karen's ooh, it? yeah. Karen's ooh is because this watermelon, this is a, a roundish watermelon, but at the point, the, the nipple or whatever it's called at the top, there's foam oozing out of this watermelon. Like, like, 
like soap, you know, like soap, something yeah. like that effect. Yeah. So what this is, um, it means that the fruit inside is fermenting from the heat. So it got too hot when it was in the field and it's continuing to ferment even as these people brought it home. And, and it, the pressure is building up and luckily for these people, it's oozing out of the top. And this, this foamy fermentation is um, uh, coming out. But the grocers are warning that this could explode at any minute. Imagine that, an exploding watermelon. Wow. Um, yeah. To me, I, you know, that would be great for a gender reveal, especially if it's a girl. You know, I could have an exploding pink watermelon all over the place. But what do you do if it's a boy? I don't know. You know, yeah. And it looks like it's oozing out white, not even red. It's not even, exactly, Karen. For those of you who can't see it, it's a white foam that's coming out. Um, I don't know. I'm not a brewer, so I'm not sure what uh, what that might be. Uh, I do know Foaming Watermelons. I remember that band. I think I saw them open for Smashing Pumpkins back in the day. <laughs> uh, you remember Foaming Watermelons? I don't remember. They, their big hit know. was Spitting the know. Seeds there, something like that. Um, <laughs> so anyway, farmers, you know, if farmers want to take advantage of this, they could sell... You know, it was instead of pouring your own vodka into the watermelon, they could sell pre-fermented uh, watermelons, put a little valve in there to let the pressure out so they don't explode between the time you buy it and take it to the picnic and charge extra for it. You know, it might, it might not be a bad idea. It, we're always, you know, on What in the World, we're always looking for new ways to make money. I've got a couple more coming up, so it's a good good thing to... to um, uh, stick around now i put this on facebook um i mention this all the time that uh, I, I like to test some of the stories out on facebook test some of the jokes out i put it on facebook a lot of people did not believe sounded like karen did not believe that this could be a real thing that this must be a trick no this is a real foaming watermelon from maine um but exploding watermelon. Now that part, that part sounds like something that they would do on Hogan's Heroes. You know, they yeah. they'd rig up a watermelon and give it to Colonel Clink and then run out the other do the other door and have it explode and everybody would laugh and have a good time. Remember Hogan's Heroes, Karen? Oh, still watch oh, it. Still watch it. Still watch. Oh, that's right. You have that. You your husband has access to that unusually old uh, TV station. Um, I don't remember what it is. I don't care. They're not our sponsor, so we'll go right on. The <laughs> so let's see. Um, let's take that watermelon down for a second here. Let's see if we can bounce back and forth between photos here. So, summer. It's summer. It's vacation time. Um, you would be packing for a trip now, Karen. I, I know. You, I don't think you've been on vacation. You've had. Uh, uh, you've been in recovery and and um, um, not that kind of recovery. Before anybody starts <laughs> making assumptions here, thank you. Appreciate rehabilitation. Thank you. Appreciate no, not that kind of rehab either. <clears throat> from from exercise kind of rehabilitation. Uh, I don't know. Are you planning to do any traveling this uh, the, the, for the rest of the year? Um, not um, until December not until when my son moves. Oh, okay. All right. So, so you'll be packing. That's what I'm trying to lead up to. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. What if, think about this. What if you were, now this is, you're, that, that trip would be to Texas. What if you were packing to go to the moon and you were planning to stay for maybe a few months? Can you imagine how much you would have to pack? Quite a bit. And could you carry everything that you wanted to, to wear without having to wash it? No, of course not. There's no way. Yeah. So that's what's facing the astronauts that are planning their the trip to the moon, which could be coming as soon as 2025. The European Space Agency is responsible for the, uh, the packing and especially the clothing side of preparing for the moon. And, and all of a sudden, somebody got this brilliant idea. They said, you know what? Those astronauts aren't going to have enough stuff to wear. They're going to be wearing their spacesuits for days and even weeks at a time. Guess what's going to happen inside? Gonna exactly. Smell. It's going to stink. It's going to stink to high heaven. Then, I didn't know this, but the astronauts share spacesuits. Because you think about it, you know, they have certain spacesuits for different activities. Um, they, they can't take spacesuits for everybody, so they're... They're going to try and recruit similar sized astronauts 
to uh, share spacesuits. So not only does it stink, but it's somebody else's stink. This does not sound like a place I want to go. Yeah, me um, neither. <clears throat> so they're, they're trying to come up with a, they don't know, they have, they don't have an idea. So I, of course, here's my recommendation to everybody listening, invest in the company that makes the breeze because they are going to make a killing on this. All they need to do is send a couple of tanks, you know, those big, massive, um, giant metal bottles of Febreze up and a, and a hose into the, the living set quarters, or maybe even a, a, a portable tank that the astronauts can carry on their back. And whenever they start to smell something a little not so fresh, they could do a squirt, you know, like you, like you do when you're in a hospital and you need the pain medicine and right. you hit the button and you get a squirt. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, there you go. Febreze, call me. I got more ideas like that. <laughs> <laughs> but think about it. You know, we grew up watching Captain Kirk and, and, and Star Trek. Imagine if that happened to Captain Kirk. He's on their... Um, you know, on the Enterprise, and uh, uh, he needs to change his uniform, and he's all out of clean uniform. So he has to share with one of the other officers. And who does he get? He gets Dr. McCoy, Bones. There's a there's two reasons why they called him Bones. One is he's a doctor. The other is he's skinny. Right, exactly. Captain Kirk, yeah, exactly. Captain Kirk was in pretty good shape back in those days. But you can just imagine him, his belly sticking out. He, his pants are too high. Uh, they're, they're running too low on his waist, too high on his ankles. Uh, he says, Bones, Bones, you need to lose some weight so I can wear your uniform. And Bones says, Jim, I'm not a tailor. I'm a doctor, not a tailor. <laughs> <laughs> so think about it. You know, I like I do. I spend too much time thinking about these things. That's what the lovely Donna always says to me. Uh, but if I didn't, we wouldn't have anything to talk about on what You got world. it. You're and, right. That's right. So now, Karen, uh, Karen's ideal job, we, we've talked about this before, was working as a driver on the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. That's been her dream job, yes. yes so I've got another dream job for you, Karen, that may pay even more. This, this was announced this week from Mattel. Mattel is interviewing candidates for its first ever chief Uno player. You know how to play Uno? Oh, absolutely. That was our favorite game that we played with my mother. Played, played, you played with your parents, you played with your sibling, you played with your kids. I mean, it's a multi-generational game, Uno. So they're looking, they're lo looking to launch a new version of Uno called Uno Quattro. I think I have a photo of it. Uno Quattro is, uh, is the name of the game. The, uh, let's see. There it is, right there. Uno Quattro. So for those of you who can't see it, the Uno Quattro, it, instead of using cards, it uses tiles. And they're uh, in a, um, uh, a slide, kind of like, uh, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of that game. But anyway, so they're in this slide, and you slide the numbers up and down, and you try to get four in a row. Hence the name Uno Quattro. Because of this, uh, Mattel is now responsible for teaching us uh, American kids two Spanish words, which is two more than Taco Bell has taught anybody, because there's nothing on the Taco Bell menu that makes any sense in Spanish. The, uh, so anyways, uh, so, so you've got this game uh, called Uno Cuatro. The, the job, Karen, pays $4,444 a week. A week. Wow. That's thousand dollars a day that's right it's, it's unbelievable to, to play the game learn how to play the game and then teach other people you know to be a um a, a, an ambassador of uno quattro so to speak from mattel um only thing you have to remember is um if you if you want to get paid in full on the second last day before your time is up you have to yell uno and then you get paid, okay? Otherwise, you know, somebody else gets your money, um, just like in the game. So, um, so, so, so Mattel's coming out with this Uno Quattro. Uno, the game itself. Now, you mentioned, Karen, that you played it with your mother. 
Believe it or not, Uno was invented in 1971. 1971. So I thought it was much older than that. But uh, uh, the, the, the game was developed, and I liked I liked the, the fact that uh, we we like to promote Ohio since we're all from Ohio here, or we're living in Ohio. Uh, it was invented in Ohio by a guy by the name of Merle Robbins. Merle Robbins from Redding, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cincinnati. For those of you uh, listening in the Cincinnati area, you already knew that. This guy developed a version of Crazy Eight. That's what Uno is. It's a version of Crazy Eight, the card game. Um, how times have changed, though. Um, the, the, the original name of the game was AIDS. It was, he invented it in the 1930s. When the 1940s came around in World War II, everybody found out the name of what the discharge that people got um, when they had a mental illness. And it was called a Section 8. So believe you can never do this today, but that's what they changed the name of the game to, Crazy 8, because that's what, it, that's what you got when you were... Um, he had a mental issues in the armed forces. Now, how did we all know that? That, that Section 8 meant that? Because we all watched MASH when we were growing up. <laughs> or, or, or adults. And Corporal Klinger tried to get uh, discharged, a Section 8 discharge, and the way he did it was by wearing a dress. Now, Karen and everybody out there, if you haven't seen the show, you know. I mean, if you have seen the show, you know. Nobody cared. The commanding officer didn't care. The other officers didn't care. The nurses didn't care. Nobody cared that Klinger walked around with a dress. Imagine that happening today. It would not happen. It would be, I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to think about it. Um, so, um, so we learned we learned about Section 8 by watching MASH. So now this guy, Merle Robbins, in, back in the 1930s, he, he's a barber. <laughs> he owns a barber shop in Reading. And he comes up with this game, plays it with his kids, everybody loves it. So he uses his own money and he prints up the Uno cards. Uh, and he sells them out of his barber shop. Um, which, which, um, you know, which, which is kind of ironic because when the game is over, you know what you say. You say, I'm out. Well, customers were playing Uno in his barbershop, but they never left. They'd say, I'm out. Then they'd play again. He couldn't get rid of them. He couldn't kick them out. Um, so he did so well, but he couldn't manage the business. So he sold it to the owner of a funeral home. Now, there's, I don't see any connection between Uno and a funeral home, yet that's what it was. So the owner of the funeral home, he, he sees the business potential. So he takes a room, he, he had a room in the back of the funeral parlor, which he turns into a game company, and he starts manufacturing and selling Uno from behind the funeral parlor, which, which caused a lot of problems because, uh, you know, it's... Um, People, people are in the, uh, they're, they're paying their last respects, and it's quiet. And somebody says, oh, I'm so sorry. What did he die from? And, some, and so all of a sudden you hear a voice yelling, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> and the interesting so, uh, part is my mother would call Uno even when she didn't yeah. have it. Of course, that's mother's privilege. <laughs> Great, uh, you know, great game to play with your parents. I, um, I, play, I remember playing with my parents as well. So, um, uh, so uh, Mattel, he sold it to Mattel in 1992. Mattel now owns Uno. Um, so you know what that means. Once the writer's strike is over and they're back in business, they're going to make an Uno movie. Uh, you know, they already they made so much money on Barbie. They got it. They have to make an Uno movie. Uh, I, I see Tom Cruise playing the star, you know, maybe call it Top Draw or something to that effect, you know, for, for Tom. And, uh, you know, the, the slogan, he's crazy, he's wild, he's always drawing four. Uh, you know, that, that, uh, that's our, like, Hollywood, <laughs> I'm not on strike because I'm not in the union, okay, and I don't want to cross any lines, but once the strike is over, call me. I've got the rest of the script ready to go. Speaking of movies, speaking of movies, uh, for Karen, I, I mentioned before that Karen has her, her lovely pink background up. Karen, did you see the Barbie movie yet? Um, 
No, and it's not on my list. Oh, it's not on your bucket list, so to no. speak. Okay. I, I can understand that. I can understand that. I think the lovely Don and I are planning to see it as well as uh, Oppenheimer. But that's not what we're going to talk about here. Because everybody everybody else has seen it. We're the last ones, just about. So older Barbie fans are all excited because of this. And, and I'm going to put a picture of it uh, up right here while I explain to everybody what it is. Older Barbie fans, and I mean really older Barbie fans, would be interested in... Uh, what a funeral parlor in South America, I think in uh, 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 Mexico, as a man, no, in Central America, is selling pink caskets to be buried in for true blue, to, or actually it would be two train, true pink Barbie fans, pink caskets. Um, so instead of resting in peace, you can also rest in puce. Um, <laughs> For the, for, the, for the guys out there, Puce is a shade of pink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I had to look up. That's right. I, who knows? We, we, we know red, green, and, and uh, blue, yellow. That's about it. Um, I'll tell you what, though, here, and I thought about this. You'd never see Barbie in a pink casket. I don't think. A real Barbie. I don't think so. Because no one, for one thing, nobody's going to look at Barbie in a pink casket and say, oh, she looks so natural. Barbie didn't look natural when she was alive. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the problem everybody has. You know, the, the biggest complaint. Oh, she's, she's, she's a, a false ideal for young girls because she doesn't look real. Um, but what's next? What's next? If, if they can see, if you can make money selling a Barbie casket, now you're going to have a pink hearse. That's going to be the next thing. Uh, you know, a converted pink Corvette, uh, like like the Barbie dream car, which, you know, at least you'd get to the, to, to the um, uh, cemetery in record time going in a, in a, in a uh, Corvette. And then... Then, once you get to the cemetery, you would be buried in or, or, or put to rest in the Barbie Dream Mausoleum. Oh, can you just imagine a beautiful pink Barbie Dream Mausoleum, which would probably cost less because although it would be nice and fancy on the front, just like the Barbie Dream House, you don't need a wall on the back. So, you know, you only have to pay for three quarters of the price of a mausoleum. Um, now, Karen, did you have a Barbie when you were growing up? No, I wasn't allowed. I had an imitation Barbie. And the imitation <laughs> Barbie did not have any real physical parts on her. She was just a <laughs> slender doll. Oh, I'm so sorry to bring this up. <laughs> you, had, you had a Sunshine Hydrox Barbie. You yeah. Know, with the, Poor kids who, ate, who never ate Oreos because their parents bought Sunshine Hydrox because dad said they taste the same and I only had to pay half the price for them. So I'm so sorry to hear that. I was, <laughs> was going to ask you if you had a, a black dress because there were very few black dresses for Barbie. And, um, um, you know, part of the reason why they didn't want it to look like, you know, a widow Barbie. You know, who would want to buy a widow Barbie? Uh, not little, widow, W-I-D-O-W, widow Barbie, uh, for the for the Elmer Fudd fans out there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, I do remember my, my, my sister had had a Barbie, and she did have a black dress. I don't know, maybe my mother made it for her. I'm not sure. But she and my and my younger sister used to play, instead of playing widow Barbie, they played Sister Mary Barbie. They pretended that she was a nun. Uh, but she was at... <laughs> Barbie's a terrible nun, and you know why. She can't bend her knees, so she couldn't genuflect at all. She couldn't kneel down and pray. <laughs> Not, so, so no, there was no Sister Mary Barbie after that. Okay, let's talk about some world records. Uh, John always loves the world record, so this is for you, John. World record number one here. Oh, this was a popular story on Facebook this week. And, and I, I have to put the picture up because you're just not going to believe it. The guy's name is, his nickname is Canhead. Okay, take a look at this, Karen. He is, can you see why he might be called Canhead? Yeah, I can see exactly why. Yep. <laughs> this gentleman has 
uh, aluminum cans, beer cans it appears to be, stuck all over his head and his face. His name is Sunichi Kano, but we'll, we're going to call him Canhead because that's his nickname, from um, uh, Japan. He's reclaimed, this means he had it once before, the world record for the most drink cans stuck to your head using air suction. Uh, he attached 11 cans to his face. Now they're empty cans, hey, and, I, and I don't know, I still don't understand the principle, the concept. If he had to squeeze the can to make the suction to stick it to his whatever, he did it. He also, he set a second record when his online dating profile was rejected by thousands of women in a 10 minute period once this photo came out. Because uh, who wants to date a guy named Canhead? I, I, I can't imagine um, anyone being interested in, in, in a guy who had this for his talent. No. He attributed it. Yeah, pretty, pretty odd. Pretty odd. I know. I wouldn't have been. I, I, I don't. It doesn't, doesn't appeal to me at all. He says that his secret, <laughs> which he brags about, is that he has a big forehead. So, you know, I'm thinking. Uh, what is the definition of a forehead? Because I know some bald guys who might want to try this. If if your entire bald head could be considered to be a forehead, you could probably get 12, 14, 16 hands on your head. Uh, Beginners people, if you're if you're listening, we could use a uh, clarification on that. Um, <laughs> so he, he once he takes them off, well, you can just imagine. Now he's got red marks all over his face, big red circles the size of the bottom of a drink can. He looks he looks like he's got measles on Mars. Yeah. He's a, he's a, and measles. It's just just not an appealing thing. Um, so and how we Karen, this is your favorite question. How does someone decide that this is what they want to do with their life? They want you to know, set the record. I ask these stupid questions all the time. It's like <laughs> why? Um, it's not a stupid question. I think the answer is why not? <laughs> When it comes to mountain climbing, I agree. When it comes to sticking cans on your face, not so sure about that. Um, the um, so <laughs> I know how he decided. He had just finished the eleventh beer, and he's looking around, thinking, "Oh, what can I do now? I know what I'll do. <laughs> I'll stick cans on my face." That's what happened after eleven beers. What happened after twelve? That leads us to our next story. So. Women, Karen, you back me up on this. Women would never stick empty cans on their face. No, no, never. No, not at all. Okay. So, but if you drank 12 cans of beer, you'd probably be looking to set some other world record. And that brings us to this lady who is in uh, Maryland. Her name is Kimberly Winter, uh, but she goes by Kimmy Cola. And you'll find out why. She set a Guinness World Record for the largest burp by a female when she let out a belch that was measured by Guinness at 107 decibels. For those of you who are not into the decibel to uh, device conversion, that is the sound of a motorcycle at full throttle. 107 decibels. Here's a, here's a picture of the lovely... Uh, Kimmy Cola right here. There we go. There's her name. And in fact, that's a picture of her oh, belching. Wow. That's one of your fetishes. Um, we, we cover everything on What in the World. Belching fetishes, we're, we're your source. So um, after she demonstrated her belch on, on a radio show, live on a radio show. And she set a second record for the most guys calling in with marriage proposals. Because this is something guys just love, women belching. So um, don't ask me why. Um, so Kimmy Cola, they asked her her secret, and she said her secret is having, get ready for this, beer and coffee with her breakfast, which is the reason why she's no longer allowed in Denny's and IHOP and uh, Bob Evans, <laughs> <laughs> because she sits there and eats and belches. Coffee, bacon and eggs, and beer. You know... How, how do you come up with an idea like that? That sounds like something you, you have when you have a hangover, not to set a world record. 
Uh, now, if John were here, he'd probably tell us that there's a World Women's Belching Cup currently going on somewhere in the world, uh, the tournament, and the American women lost uh, during a sub sudden death burp out. Um, but uh, and if there isn't a, a tournament like that, we should have one. We should we should set one up. Cleveland would be a good place to hold the World Championship of Belgium. Uh, anybody interested? Call me. Uh, okay, another world record for us here. Okay, so we're uh, so so another world record. We we uh, this is world record week here. We, we world record week. Boy, that's hard to say. I just set a world record for the fastest saying that. Um, world record week. Here's their next world record. This one comes from India, where a martial artist by the name of Naveen Kumar set. He also regained his world record. That means he's he's had this record before. World record for cracking open walnuts with his forehead. Uh, again, you know, where do people come up with the idea to do this? Let's take a look at him in action here. There he is right there. So here he is at a table smashing. He smashed 273 walnuts with his forehead in one minute. That's do the like math. you That's said, why? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, he, you know, at the end, he, he face palmed himself and broke his wrist. So he's, you know, he's really got a strong neck, maybe. Um, or maybe he ate one of those fermented watermelons and got so drunk, he thought, oh, God, what can I hey. do to set a world record? I'll smash walnuts with my head. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I just don't know. I, can, I don't have an answer for that one. Uh, what... <laughs> What it reminded me of, and this is how this shows you how my mind works. When I think of walnuts and dumb things, I think of walnettos. Does does wal does the word walnetto mean anything to you, Karen, or anybody out there? You really oh, have to. Heard, I don't think I've ever heard it. Walnetto was uh, from the Laugh In show, and Artie Johnson and Ruth Buzzy used to play an old man and an old woman right. sat on a park bench. And Artie Johnson would say things to the Ruth Budsey person like, hey, want to see my walnettos? Now, <laughs> I thought that that was obviously a double entendre uh, of some sort uh, that they were able to get past the censors. And the reason why I didn't realize this, the reason why is, be, uh, in fact, I've got a, there's a, there's a picture of uh, Artie Johnson yep. and Ruth Budsey in character. Uh, the reason why they got away with it is because there's a real thing uh, uh, called walnettos, and it's a candy. It's uh, this, there's a picture of one, Collins walnettos. Um, the uh, they these were invented in uh, 1919 by a guy in Minnesota. His name is uh, J. N. Collins, J. N. Collins Company. Now, if you if you can see the picture, it also says Peter Paul's walnettos on here. Uh, Peter, they were so popular, and it's basically walnuts, caramel, and, and chocolate, if you want to know the ingredient. They, they were bought by Peter Paul, who also makes Almond Joy and, and um, the other one, Mounds, um, and that was later sold to a, to the Walnetto Company, uh, which is in Valencia, California, and they're still available. The Walnettos are still available, so, so that's where it came from. Now, as I'm doing research for the story, I didn't realize that that character that we were talking about, I'll, I'll put him back up here, Artie Johnson's right. character, yep. he had a name. His name was Tyrone Hornet, not Horny, Hornet. Hornet. <laughs> the French version, yeah. H-O-R-N-E-I-G-H, Hornet. Um, did not know that. Now, Interestingly, you know how you become friends with a lot of people on Facebook. Right. I'm actually friends with Ruth Buzzy on Facebook. I don't know how that happened, but I'm friends with Ruth Buzzy. I don't know her. I've never met her. I've admired her. Uh, Ruth Buzzy is 87 years old. She just celebrated her 87th birthday. Still gets around. Uh, very few of the original laughing people um, are, are still with us. She's the, the oldest. Um, Joanne Worley. Um, uh, you know, with, with her loud mouth, uh, she's 85, and and the one that that everybody knows, Goldie Hawn, is 77. So married to Kurt Russell, 
you know, still looking like she did um, on the show, although I don't think right. she fit bikini the same way. Uh, so anyway, so a little bit of laugh-in trivia there for you. Okay, so John's not here, but we got a sports story. Um, let's see. This one is uh, from, oh, this is animals playing sports. Animals playing golf is our theme for the next couple of stories here. So okay. uh, you're a golf fan. Uh, Jerome Gignac was playing golf at the Westwood Plateau Golf Course in British Columbia when this happened. He looked at the cart and a bear came up to the cart, grabbed his bag, brand new bag, brand new clubs, dragged it out of the cart and into the woods. Needless to say, he and the rest of his foursome were, were, were shocked obviously afraid to chase after the bear, uh, which is a good thing. And, and right. you know, <laughs> it's because because eventually the, the bear got mad, too, because the bear was trying to get this bag down the, the hole of his cave and he missed the hole three times, got so upset, broke up all the clubs, threw them in the pond and said he was never going to play golf again. Um, the uh, can you imagine a bear golfing? Um, not not the animal that I would a tribute, you know, that would, I would, could see, although they do, they can't stand up on their hind legs. So of, end, of, of most animals, they might be a good choice. Uh, but animal that I always think of when it comes to golf is the chimpanzee. Now, why do I think of that? Because I grew up on the uh, Little Rascals, our gang <laughs> movie. And one of my favorite uh, shorts was um it was called divot diggers uh karen i don't know if you remember that one or anybody out there uh so so in divot diggers i'll give you a brief synopsis the kids the the rascals um uh, were uh, caddy yeah they were they were caddying at a golf course and uh, all the other caddies um quit for some reason so and they have a friend but just just coincidentally the our gang kids have a friend who happens to be a chimpanzee so they brought him along <laughs> and then there's there's spanky playing golf with the chimpanzee here's uh the rest of the kids watching and uh, along with the chimpanzee and and holding their golf clubs and here is here are all of the other golfers and the the a ancient golf cart you know obviously not an electric golf cart it's a pull along um with with the dog with the with the uh, with the monkey, uh, just having a good time right there. So, what so so the episode was called uh, Divot Diggers. The um, the part of the the monkey, <laughs> the part of the chimpanzee was played by a real chimpanzee by the name of Jigs. Jigs is a famous chimpanzee. That that monkey right there was the original Tarzan cheetah. He was oh. in. Yeah, yeah. He was in the first two with uh, Tarzan movies with Johnny Weissmiller. And then he moved, you know, he got too big for Johnny Weissmiller. So he moved on to other Tarzan movies with, with other actors playing Tarzan. Uh, this was back in the 1930s. He well, was I knew he lived familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got that cheetah look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He <laughs> oh wait, wait, wait! We'll we'll edit all that out of here. So so Jigs. Not only did he play Cheetah, he's a very versatile chimpanzee actor. He was in three other. Uh, besides being in our gang, he was also with Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> and what was he? He was in uh, um, Laurel and Hardy. Uh, Dirty Work was the name of the 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 short movie that he was in with Laurel and Hardy. But this is my favorite. He was in. Um, ju her jungle love. Now, I, if John were here, I'd ask him if he remembers that movie because I know he wouldn't. It's a 1938 movie starring Dorothy Lamour. Her co-star was Jigs the Chimpanzee. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those were the days, Karen. Those are the days when we, when you could get away with things like that in movies. Well, Not and I thought maybe he played in Bedtime for Bonzo. Bedtime for Bonzo. No, I think, you know, I, I used to know the name. It was Mr. Somebody. Mr. Mr. 
there was another chimpanzee that used to be on the Today Show when the Today Show first started. Um, might have been Mr. Jiggs, might have been, but but a different, not the same same one. Not the same he, one. Okay. Um, but Mr. Muggs, J something Muggs was his name. That's it. Um, the, the, when John's not here, I've got to handle the trivia. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he was he was on uh, on the Today Show in the morning. I don't know what he did. He probably did the weather. Anybody can do the weather. Right. Sorry, uh, Al Roker, uh, who's from Cleveland, by the way. That uh, I, I don't know if. Uh, I don't remember him being on on uh, television. I may have been uh, living in Texas at that time, but uh, I don't know if he grew up in Cleveland. And and we've gotten off the subject here, just like we always do. So let's get back on the subject. Okay. Uh, summertime amusement park time. I just found two of the the most unusual amusement park rides. First one comes from um, uh, Santa Claus, Indiana. I've never been there. I didn't realize that there was a place called Santa Claus, Indiana. It has an amusement park uh, called the Holiday World. And in the Holiday World, coming soon, you'll be able to ride the Good Gravy Roller Coaster. The Good Gravy Roller Coaster is a gravy-themed roller coaster. The cars are shaped like gravy boats. You sit in the gravy boat. You go through a can of... Um, cranberry sauce and at some point on the track there are giant rolling pins and whisk gravy whisk that attempt to swat at you while you're flying through oh now, yeah <laughs> that's that sounds like thanksgiving dinner when you know when you invited crazy uncle ed and he starts you know he has a he has his 11 beers and instead of sticking the cans to his face he starts talking politics and people are throwing stuff all over the place anyways that <laughs> not only does it do, do you go forward through the can but you get to the end and you go backwards back through the can again because this is called a family boomerang ride that's what they, that's that did you go forward up the hill then you go backwards a uh, family boomerang ride what when i was a kid a family boomerang ride was what happened when when you got in the car and, and you started going and everybody's screaming and your father says i'm turning this car around and he goes home and then we all calm down and he left again <laughs> that's a family <laughs> ride back in the old days um so this has a height requirement of 38 inches which is just just barely over three feet. So they claim that three-year-olds will be able to ride on this ride. Oh, you, wow. Yeah, Karen, do you really want to take a three-year-old on a ride where there's rolling pins trying to beat you as you go through a can of cranberry sauce? Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, I can just imagine that the, the, this poor kid is going to be in therapy for years after that. Um, but anyways, the uh, okay, so that, that's ride you don't want to ride number one. No. The second one comes from Dubai. And we've talked about this before. This is the Dubai Eye. Uh, the Dubai Eye is the world's largest Ferris wheel. It, wow. it is as high as the second largest one, which is the London Eye. So that obviously named to kind of poke the London Eye in the eye, so to speak. So but if you want to ride a ride, you go to London because the Dubai Eye broke down in March of 2022 and has not been repaired yet. Believe really? it or not. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 um, um, the, the, the crew that works on it, they've been arguing about what's the best way to fix it ever since it broke down well over a year ago. Uh, and they're losing money because... Uh, uh, the cars, they're different kinds of cars. The basic car is, um, I think it's like $26 for a ride, but then they have luxury cars that cost over a thousand dollars. They've got a bar in it. They probably have strippers and all that. Who knows what else they've got in there? Whoa. Yeah. Afford all that kind of stuff. $1,280, uh, private cabins. Um, so, you know, if, if you're arguing about how to get this wheel moving, you need to ask people of a certain age, like Karen, myself, baby boomers, because we know exactly how to get this wheel moving again. They, they, they need to um, keep, in, instead of talking about their troubles, they'll never learn. They need to ride a painted pony 
and that spinning wheel will turn. Oh, that's a uh, good one. What what song is that from? Spinning wheel turns. There you go, <laughs> spinning wheel. That's right. By Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Nineteen sixty-nine uh, was the year that song came out. Uh, I can remember dancing to it at high school dances. Um, uh, everybody's favorite uh, favorite horn band, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Uh, singer was David Clayton Thomas, who wrote uh, Spinning Wheel. Um, peaked at number two on the Billboard charts. It was number two for weeks and weeks and weeks. Number one, here's what beat it out. 1969, first half of the, the, their time on the top, it was uh, behind... The Love Theme from Romeo and Juliet by uh, Henry Mancini. Uh, you, you had to be there to, to see the movie. Why that beat what was number one, I don't know. Very popular movie, I guess. And then, then when that movie fell out of number one, did Spinning Wheel move up? No. It was beat out by In the Year 2525 by Zagar and Evans. Another classic song. But, you know, better than Spinning Wheel, I'm not sure. Um, so Dave and Clayton Thomas, uh, this tells you something about the age of, you know, 1969. He said that the song was written in an age when psychedelic imagery was all over in lyrics. It was my way of saying, don't get too caught up because everything comes full circle. Good message. Good message. Very good message. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, this is a rock song. This is a rock song. You would not believe how many artists covered this song you know you don't, you don't hear people covering songs as much anymore as they used to but a well-written uh song got covered by a lot of people back sure. in the in early days of rock get a load of this who covered spinning wheel by blood sweat and tears peggy lee peggy lee the fever lady covered really? blood. yeah she covered it uh for a reader's digest album a reader's digest collection so you know who listened to that benny goodman the band leader and clarinet player recorded an instrumental version on the clarinet. Sammy Davis Jr., who covered all kinds of songs, he covered it um, on a 1970 album. Barbara Eden, I Dream of Jeannie, she sang it on one of her albums. I didn't even know she sang. I did uh, die. Yeah, and James Brown, of all people, James Brown, Papa's got a brand new bag and he's got a spinning wheel in it. He actually recorded a version of this song. Hard to believe. Um, <laughs> so, a varied amount of um, artists from one end to the other. Uh, yeah, there, there was nothing in common. There was no musical genre, I believe, in common with all of those. Jazz singers, band leaders, you know, uh, rhythm and blues, TV sitcom actress. <laughs> so... Um, anyways let's see let's uh, oh so so that's our that's our amusement park story for for this week i've got another um um i've got another animal story here let's say i think we can do this one i'm gonna take that photo down um so this is this is uh another bear story we got two two watermelon stories two bear stories um two for it's two for a week on what in the world okay. so bear escape yeah a bear escaped from its crate in the cargo hold of an Iraqi's Airways plane as it was departing from Dubai. Okay, so we've got two Dubai stories as well. How about that? So um, the the they hear something rumbling in the in the cargo bay. So they they stopped the plane. They opened it up, and the bear got out of its crate. So pay, you know passengers were all upset, you know, because it, it delayed their flight. Um, the bear was upset too because the bear before that he had a seat on Spirit in coach and he wanted to upgrade and they said well we can we can put you in a in a crate inside the cargo <laughs> bay and he said well that's better than than car the coach on spirit so that's where he ended up um but again i'm, I'm gonna make an old reference here uh there was a luggage line called samsonite i believe it's still available I think you know, so. the, the solid yeah um they were they used to uh, uh have a commercial where a gorilla They'd give a Samsonite commercial uh, suitcase to a gorilla and see if the gorilla could destroy it. And they couldn't. They were just so well made. Problem is, who checks bags now? Does anybody check bags? You can't afford to. Bag? Can't <laughs> afford to. That's right, Karen. You know, I, I, 
I don't know how that bear afforded to be in the cargo bay to begin with. But um, so he had the whole cargo bay to himself. He's in there. He's playing racquetball. He's bowling. You know, he's running laps. He's got, he had it made. He was, that's why he was upset that they, they, they heard him rumbling around sure. and took him out. Um, you know, we, while people in, in coach, you know, I've flown coach, you know, you've got your, your knees in your ears now in coach. Even worse, sometimes you have somebody else's knees in your ears. <laughs> that's a pet spirit right there. <laughs> All right, so this this story comes from uh, uh, the food world. I think this will this will be our last story here. Uh, federal judge dismissed a five million dollar lawsuit against Kraft Heinz. The big, you know, they make fifty percent of all food is made by Kraft Heinz. Uh, for, for, so they dismissed the suit uh, put on by a person who said that the the they were being misled by Kraft when they bought microwavable Velveeta macaroni and cheese because on the box it said ready in three and a half minutes well they tried to make it in three and a half minutes and it took them longer why did it take them longer because Kraft did not include the time it took to open the box take the package out of the box take the lid off pour the water in and put it in the microwave it was the three and a half minutes was the time in the microwave. Karen, you would have assumed that. I would yes. have assumed. Yeah, exactly. This person said, oh no, oh no, this is false advertising. And they sued him for $5 million. Fortunately, they had a judge who was, was uh, smart enough to say that's a frivolous lawsuit and saved um, Kraft Heinz from having to pay it. But well, I'm glad. Yeah, but <laughs> the woman said, uh, she said she paid a premium price. There's no such thing as a premium price for Velveeta macaroni and cheese. I'm sorry. <laughs> and and uh, she said she wouldn't have bought it had she known the truth. Oh, come on, please. Uh, but it got me thinking, this could be our new retirement job. Suing the companies for false advertising. And I've already got the lineup of companies and the lineup of progress. The first one we're gonna sue is Minute Rice. I know it takes longer than a minute to make Minute Rice. <laughs> Number one, I don't know who makes it, but we're going after them. Number two, Jiffy Pop. It's not, you know, define Jiffy to me, okay? I'm, I think Jiffy is a minute. It's not done in a Jiffy. It's done in a Jiffy Couple plus. of Jiffies. Couple of <laughs> Jiffies, that's right. <laughs> and, and the worst one, and then these people are making a ton of money. We're going to get some of it, is Instant Pot. I haven't made anything in an instant pot that's done in an instant. Have you? No. <laughs> no. Of course no. not. I, and, oh, oh, and one more. I can't believe it's not butter. Oh, I, I believe it's butter. It, <laughs> I don't. I disagree with that completely. No, forget that. All right. So, so those are the companies we're going to be suing here. Uh, if anybody wants to get in that class action lawsuit with me, please give me a call. If you're a lawyer and you want a piece of the action, by all means, visit me <laughs> on Facebook. And on that note, now, normally at this time, we would turn to John Danalo for What in the World of Sports, but John's not here. So instead, we are going right to bluff the co-host, everybody's wow. favorite weird game. Um, uh, and John Aaron will be representing the world. Uh, for, so, so all of you, yeah, have a huge responsibility on Karen's shoulders here. I have three stories similar to the ones that uh, we've been talking about all afternoon. One big difference, all of those were real. These may be real, may be a bluff, and it's up to Karen. It's up to you playing out there uh, to determine which are real, which are a bluff. Wagering is allowed, so place your bet. Karen, put your hand on the buzzer. Let's get I'm there. Ready. No theme. No theme. We'll get right to story number one. In 1973, the expression jumping the shark came into existence when an episode of the show Happy Days had Arthur Fonzarelli put on water skis and swim trunks and his leather jacket get pulled by a boat up a ramp and over a tank with a shark in it. In honor of the 50th anniversary of that episode, an aquarium in Georgia is training a shark to jump over a floating replica of the fonts in a stunt called what else jumping the fonts henry winkler no longer does fonzie 
Uh, um, so he turned down an invitation to appear at the event, which is scheduled for later this year. This is one of the few trained sharks in the world. So the aquarium is hoping this will help attendance while the shark is hoping that it will get him his own show on the Discovery Channel. Okay, so the 50th anniversary of the Jumping the Shark episode on Happy Days being celebrated by a shark actually jumping over a replica of the font. What do you say, Karen, real or bluff? Well, I think if it were real, um, Henry Winkler would show up for it because, I mean, he's doing commercials now. So, hey, you know, he'd want the action of some sort. But um, it sounds like such a hoax that I'm going to say it's not real. Sounds like such a hoax. It's not real. And and Karen believes that Fonzie never passes up an opportunity to, to you make an it. appearance and get a fee. Okay. And by Fonzie, of course, I mean Henry Winkler. All right, let's check with the judges. Karen says it's a bluff, and the judges say, congratulations, Karen. That's a, re that's a bluff. <laughs> it's not a real story. I don't know how John would have voted on that. Uh, he probably would have agreed with I you. I think he okay. would have agreed, yeah. Yeah, he would agree. Okay, so we've got, uh, so Karen's got, a, uh, Karen's got a point if we were competing here. Well, you're competing against everyone else. So um, so let's see, we have, we probably have about uh, 100,000 listeners and 50,000 of them got it right. So 50,000 got it wrong. So you're tied with 50,000 people. How about that? Hey, you know, I like that was that 50-50 thing. <laughs> okay, let's get right to story number two. If it seems like we've been seeing more meteorites falling to the ground, you're right. It's happening so often that an artist and entrepreneur in California has started a business turning the naturally magnetic space rocks into something you can display proudly in your kitchen. That's right. He paints the rocks to look like a piece of meat, polishes the other side flat, and turns them into what he calls meat eorite magnets to stick on your refrigerator. He says that the meat eorite magnets are great conversation starters for parties um, and are also handy ways to remind yourself to pick up some chicken or steaks for dinner. He gives price quotes on his website and it takes about two weeks to turn your magnetic space rock into a meat eorite magnet. If you can't find a meteorite on your own, he also sells some made um, that he collected himself or bought online. Okay, so the artist who turns me meteorites into meat eorite magnets to hang on your refrigerator. What do you say, Karen? Real or bluff? I I sure hope this is a bluff because um, I don't want that on my refrigerator. No. no. What do you do? What do you have on your refrigerator right now? If um, I may be so. Bad. I have nine one one on my refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> Can't, just, just in case you forget one of the numbers. You got uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Karen says there's. She's hoping that. The meat-shaped meteorite magnets are a bluff. Let's check with the judges. <laughs> John would probably agree with you on that one as well. Check with the judges, and the judges say congratulations once again. That is a bluff. Whew. Thank wow. goodness. Yeah. Right. Oh, you're on a roll here, Karen. That's yeah. two. Okay. Uh, I don't know if half the audience agreed with you on that one. I think I think some people may have fallen for it. So. Let's go to story number three and see what happens. Oh, points are doubled, so the audience yeah. may catch up with you on this one, so be uh, be prepared. You're going to like this one. We were just talking about this a little while ago. If you look up irony in the dictionary, you may soon find a link to this story. Zoom, the video communications company whose name has become synonymous with remote work, has ordered all of its employees to stop working at home and return to the office. This includes workers at its headquarters in San Jose, California, as well as in all of its field offices around the world. Despite the fact that its stockholders became rich because of all of the other companies using Zoom to work at home during the pandemic, Zoom executives say flexible work is not right for their employees 
and they hope to have uh, uh, they hope that having employees in the office uh, will make them more efficient and productive while developing new products to compete with offerings from Microsoft and other companies. Irony, thy name is Zoom. Okay, so Zoom, the company that invented video uh, remote working is bringing all of their employees back to the office. What do you say, Karen, real or bluff? Well, I know a lot of IT companies are doing this. Um, I've heard it and it's it's like they companies feel like they've lost money with people sitting at home and working. Mm -hmm. All I yeah. can say is if it makes Zoom work better than it is now, bring them all back into the office. <laughs> Um, All right, so I think you're saying that's a real story. And you I hope, think it's a real story. You hope they figure out our problem when yep. they get back in the office. Okay, let's check with the judges. And the judges say, you're right, that's a real story. And they agree with you. They hope that our problems are solved next week. Um, so, wow, congratulations. The perfect score there for Karen. Um, poor John. I don't know, I don't know if John no, would have got to, you know, I think John would have agreed on all three. Think so? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, he'll be he'll be thrilled to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've come to another to, to the end of another episode of What in the World. Uh, well, I don't know. We may have had a couple of little glitches in there. I'm not sure if if, if you did see something weird or hear something weird. We apologize for that. Blame it on Zoom. We did Zoom get it and... fixed. Well, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anybody who knows the fix. Anybody who knows who can help us, please contact me, contact Karen. We will be eternally grateful. We'll mention, we'll give you a shout out on the show. Uh, and 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 one of all of our many souvenirs. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that falls on the floor in Karen's office, I think is fair game right there. So absolutely. Anyways, I yeah. want to thank speaking of Karen, I want to thank Karen Hale. Uh, the media mogul at nuclearradio.net, everybody's favorite producer and co-host. Thank you so much for everything you do for our show and for everything you do for all the podcasts at nuclearradio.net. Please visit it, that, find out how to, to listen to us, download us, and then listen and download all the other great podcasts Karen has. Uh, shout out to our buddy John. Uh, I know he'll be listening to the show later on tonight after the election is over. Uh, and he'll be back with us next week. And most of all, we want to thank all of you for listening, watching, however you uh, partake of what in the world, whatever you're doing while you're while you're listening to us. We appreciate you. Um, you know, you're the reason why we do this. We have fun. We hope you have as much fun as we're having. And I think on that note, uh, we're going to. I think we're going to cl close it for the week. And um, and a big thanks to you for all you put into the show and put oh. up with the fact that we don't come to rehearsal. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I get, I get a half an hour of solitude where I sit waiting for John and Karen to come to rehearsal. <laughs> you got it. Have right. a great week, everybody. Bye-bye now.